Well, thank you, choir. Well, a few, uh, a few weeks ago, back at the end of July, we started a series entitled Burning Questions. For those of you that are just coming for the very first time today, this is a series we've been in now for about six or seven weeks. I think this is the seventh message. It's called Burning Questions because people have turned in their questions anonymously, uh, randomly, some online, some out in our lobby, that have dealt with the topic of marriage and relationships. And so each week what we've done is we've dealt with these questions, sifted them through Scripture. You know, opinions are only worth so much. Uh, there is a place at times for insight, for opinion, but the main word that we want to hear is uh, God's Word. And so we try to answer these questions from God's perspective. And so this has been a series entitled Burning Questions, Marriage and Relationships. Well, just imagine for a moment, try to picture the scene that, uh, that our family, Susie and I and our kids, invite you over to our home uh, for dinner. And you come and we have a nice dinner and we sit down and we're able to spend some time together and we're chit-chatting and we're talking and we go into the, you know, to the living room where the, you know, the couches are and we sit down and you just ha- happen to look over and you notice there about 10 feet away, just kind of sprawled out there on the carpet, is about a seven-foot rattlesnake. And, uh, and you, uh, you, you kind of look, and you look at me, and you say, uh, Brooks, uh, what's up with the snake exactly? And, uh, and I say to you, well, you know, that's our pet. We found him out in the yard when he was just a little guy. We raised him up through snakehood, and uh, we fed him with a little snake dropper, and we, you know, gave him little bits of food, and now he's grown to this, to be this seven-foot, cuddly little rattlesnake, the little guy. We just love him, and uh, like, come here, snakey, come on, you know, how you, and he, you know, comes over, his little tongue's doing this kind of, and he just kind of slithers on over up in my lap, and I pick him up, and imagine that I say, well, just pet him, come on, he said, you know, he, he won't bite, they always say that, right, and you pet him on his head, and bam, right on your leg, he changes your life. And it would be a harsh reminder that some things were never meant to be handled. This morning, I want to deal with a subject that was asked about by you. It's a sensitive subject. And I'm going to ask you to do something a little out of the ordinary. I'm going to ask you just to listen and not to write. Now, I know some of you, you, you are copious note takers, and you have to take notes. You will not sleep tonight if you don't take notes. If you're one of those, then you just write away. You, you, just, you enjoy this time. You're going to have three things that are on the overhead. You feel free to write those down. But this message will, be on our, message will be on our website, as they all are, later this week. And even when you leave today, I've made special provision where I've put together the, the high points of this message in a in note form for you to be able to take on your way out on the welcome lobby desk. You grab one. if there, you know, However many are in your family, if you want them, you grab them. But I just want you to listen. There's going to be a lot of information today, and there's going to be a lot that I want to share with you that uh, you're going to miss, honestly, if you're writing, and I don't want that to happen. The title of this, this morning's message is Theft by Pornography. Pornography is a $4.9 billion industry in our country, $4.9 billion. It's estimated by those who are smart enough to search these things that every 20, uh, or, or, uh, 28,000 people access online pornography every second. With every second that passes, another 28,000 people have access to pornographic website or pornographic content online. In fact, for the time this service started this morning until the time you settle in at the lunch table at your local restaurant or at your home, another two pornographic videos would have hit the market about every 39 minutes. It is rampant here in our country, not only in our country, but also 
worldwide, it seems like the numbers continue to grow. In fact, at a recent Promise Keepers event back years ago when Promise Keepers was one of the biggest men's events that took place in our nation, men would fill arenas, football arenas all over this country. 53% of the men that attended admitted that they had viewed pornography at some point recently. 53% of the Christian men there at that event. 45%, if those numbers are true, then that's almost half of the families represented here have admitted, 45% have admitted that pornography is a major issue in their home. I would be willing to say that there's not a man here that hasn't been at some point impacted by pornography. It may be a father, it may be a friend, it may be back when you were in grade school, second grade, third grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, and your friends had access, they found something, they found their older brother's stash of magazines and they were telling you about that. Or maybe you yourself have come out of that and you found victory or maybe you're in the midst of the battle even still today. You may be a wife whose family has been devastated because your husband has been addicted to or has accessed that consistently. And let me just say, men, that, that uh, even though statistics show that 28% of women are now viewing pornography, the vast numbers are men. And this morning I speak to an audience of men. Even though I know we're mixed, I'm speaking as to men. And so for those of women who are here, and the statistics are accurate, and one-third of women have accessed that themselves, then everything I say will apply to you. But the, 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 the audience I see today that I speak to are going to be these guys. Burning questions have been turned in about this topic. Let's just take a look at a couple of them real quickly. Submitted a number of weeks ago, again, anonymously. First, when our marriage is struggling because my husband views pornography and feels that it is not wrong because it is not, quote, real. My girlfriends also struggle with this. Next question. What does the Bible say about pornography? It seems to be a growing industry, even among Christians. It's highly addictive and very destructive to marriages. Men are not the only ones viewing it either. Women are also doing it by reading highly sexual romance novels. How can we battle this growing problem head on as a church? Numerous families are suffering because of this issue, and it is heartbreaking. We'll just give you three points this morning that uh, I hope you will jot these down, and we're going to sift through them and ultimately get to what Scripture says about this issue. And the first point that I want you to recognize and realize is that it is the nature of pornography to steal your heart. It is the nature of pornography to steal hearts. And here's the way pornography steals hearts. It steals hearts one page at a time, and it steals hearts one click at a time. It doesn't happen immediately. It's not as though the person who accesses pornography, whether they are an innocent fifth grader or whether they are an 80-year-old who's been addicted for decades, it doesn't matter how you access it for the first time. It's not going to steal your heart that very moment to where you recognize it, but make no bones about it. It will steal your heart from the very first click. It doesn't just steal the heart of the man who is accessing it. It also steals the heart of his wives. And husbands, let me just say... Uh, something that you may not realize, that even though your wife may not understand and realize that you are accessing that, if you are, uh, even though she, you may have never had that conversation and she never may have accessed your phone or your work computer or your home computer or where you like to hide it, even though she may not know about it, let me just say she knows about it. Because the damage that it does to your heart, the damage that it does to your life, those who are closest to you will recognize that something is not the way it used to be. If that takes place, it is the nature of pornography to steal hearts. And it does at one page, one click at a time. The reason for that is because pornography by its very nature is secretive. And so because it is secretive, it steals trust. I remember when I was, uh, back when I was running competitively, I, I, this is an anomaly. This is, um, uh, this is not the norm, but I was traveling to 
a, tra- a, a track meet at Virginia Tech. I was traveling with my father. I wasn't, run- I wasn't at Georgia yet. I was running with a track club. It wasn't a, a team. It wasn't a meet that we took a whole team to. I traveled called Unattached. I traveled. My dad went with me. Ran the meet at uh, Virginia Tech. We were flying back. And I believe from what I can recall, this is probably 25 years ago, we were in Charlotte, the Charlotte airport. And I noticed there in the terminal, the seating area, waiting to board that flight, there were four wrestlers, not wrestlers, wrestlers, right? You know, the TV wrestlers, uh, Ric Flair and like three others. And I was just like, man, woo! Yeah. Uh, uh, well, now it's like, woo! <laughs> He's a little bit older. Uh, but I remember these four guys, they were, they were professional wrestlers. They were on TV all the time, and I remember seeing them and thinking, man, that's just the coolest thing. Well, here's what is emblazoned in my mind. I remember one of them, wasn't Ric Flair, it was a different one that you meant, some of you would recognize his name. He was sitting there on his luggage in the terminal of the Charlotte airport, opening up for all the world to see a pornographic magazine. Right there in public. That is not the norm. Pornography by its nature is secretive. And because it is so secretive, it absolutely steals trust. It's isolating. It doesn't happen in a public area. Because it's isolating, it steals unity. It's addictive. Everything they say is absolutely true. It is addictive. And because it is addictive, it will steal your your life. It's life-consuming. It is life-dominating. In fact, there are some that once they are held in its clutches, no matter how badly they try to get free, it seems as though they keep coming back to that well, and they keep coming back to that well, and they keep coming back to that well because it dominates their life. And time is absolutely wasted, and those that have come out of the clutches of pornography would say one of the biggest things that changes in their life is that they have time they didn't even know existed because they're no longer in front of a screen. They're no longer huddled up behind some closed door looking at a magazine. They're not somewhere uh, uh, trying to get away from the crowd so that they can access something on their phone. They get their life back. Pornography by its very nature will also steal your joy because it not only captivates and holds in its clutches by its addiction, but it also grinds into nothingness the person's self-worth as well as their self-control. Oh, it'll give. It does give back. I mean, it's not completely selfish. It'll give back shame and it'll give back guilt. And it'll cause you to come to a place to where you view the members of the opposite sex in a way that God never, ever intended. Even those who aren't on the pages of a magazine or on a website, just the ones you pass in everyday life will not be viewed the way God intended. Listen to what Gene McConnell writes. He says, not everyone who sees pornography will become addicted to it. Some will just come away with toxic ideas about women, sex, marriage, and even children. It's the nature of pornography to steal your heart. And men, if you're engaged in it today or if you choose to at some point in the future, don't think that because you're a believer you have some guardrail around your life because of that. It will steal your heart, it will chew you up, and it will spit you out and it will leave you as a hump, just, just a, a mess. While it wrecks your marriage and wrecks your wife and wrecks her self-worth and causes her to have months if not years to overcome the ultimate degradation of, of who she is as a person. It'll do it to you as soon as it'll do it to some guy that you've never even met. There was a study that was shown that detailed the five steps of pornography and the stronghold that it is in a person's life. Uh, Again, Gene McConnell, a man named Keith Campbell, put this together. It's interesting how they did this. They said the first step that often takes place in regards to the hold of pornography in in a man's life is early exposure. 
For the majority of those who are engaged in pornography, most of them can go back and say that they were exposed to that early on. It was friends that it accessed, uh, exposed them to. It may have been, a, may have been a, an older brother uh, or, or someone who exposed them to it. Now, in today's day and age, with the technology that we have, you, you don't even have to go looking for it. It comes up with a pop-up or it comes up with a wrong click, accessing a website that has somehow been converted to something different. It can come up by mistake, and yet it is that one view that is so, so strong in nature that even children today day. Young, young, young children are accessing it for the first time and having those images emblazoned in their mind to the point to where at some point it grabs hold of them and begins to dominate their life. It is the nature of pornography to do that. You ask student leaders, camp leaders across this country, what is one of the biggest problems you're dealing with in middle and high school students today, specifically boys, and they will tell you without even batting an eye that one of the biggest issues that they face is the issue of online pornography and how it's devastating and absolutely twisting the minds of those who are accessing it, even at the youngest of ages. And so early exposure is often the first step. The second step is addiction. You come to that well once or twice and find out that you can't keep from coming back to it again. It it comes to the point to where you're exposed to it, and then it begins to become an addiction, somewhat of a false need in your life. The third level, then, is escalation. And here's how escalation works. There would be certain guardrails that a person may have in their life. Oh, I'm not ever going to purchase it. I'm just going to look at it online, and before long, they are purchasing it. Oh, I'm never going to cross this line, and before long they're crossing that line. It is beginning to escalate. The fourth step is that of desensitization. That area that they thought that they would never go to, they find themselves in short measure going there. And they're viewing things that would have sickened them just a few short months before. Why? Because it is the nature of pornography to steal hearts. And it starts often with early exposure, moving through addiction, moving through escalation, moving to desensitization to the point to where, for many, the ultimate step is to act it out sexually. You know, there are words that describe pornography. One to me would be the word mirage. Remember when I was a kid and I'd watch cartoons. And uh, by the way, cartoons today ain't what they used to be. Yeah, I got a seven-year-old. I got a five-year-old. And we got the Cartoon Network. And it's amazing. I remember being a, a kid back in the dark ages <laughs> when Bugs Bunny was king. That's what I'm talking about, like me some bugs. And I remember watching Bugs Bunny. And you remember there'd be that scene where Bugs is crawling through the desert, right? And he hasn't had water in days. And, you know, and he, he squeezes his, his Bugs Bunny eyes and he looks and says, what is that? It's a mirage. You remember that? Mirage. Yeah. What is a mirage? Let me give you a good definition of what a mirage is. I actually looked this up. The definition of mirage is something illusory or unattainable. You see, that was a mirage because he thought he saw an oasis in the desert. But it, uh, the closer he got, uh, the, the, the more he realized that was something that was illusory. It was unimaginable. It just faded into the mist. It didn't exist at all. And for the, for the person who accesses pornography, whether it be in page form or, ac- or online form, regardless of how it is, a person who accesses that in their life begins to have fashioned in their mind what a perfect person looks like. And what pornography does is it creates a mirage. And here's how the enemy operates. Is he paints this picture that could not be further from reality. And it's nothing but a mirage. And the person addicted to it struggles to, to attain and struggles to, to, to find and some, some gratification deep within that can never be fully gratified. It's just a mirage that, that, that seems to dissipate into the mist. Another word to me that would describe pornography would be the word counterfeit. The enemy is very crafty at what he does. 
What God has described and what God has designed as very good, that being the human body and sexual aspect, the sexual aspect of marriage, the enemy has chosen to take and to twist and contort and to ultimately counterfeit in this thing we call pornography. And what God has created as good, as long as it is guarded with certain guardrails, sexual expression obviously is within the bonds of marriage, ultimately with one's own spouse and only their spouse. The enemy has taken that, and here's what he's done. He's taken, taken that expression that God has called good. He's taken the spiritual component of that because the Bible says that the two were naked and it was good. The Bible says that the two would become one flesh. That is something that God has implemented. And the enemy takes the spiritual component of that, and he completely removes it, rips it out, casts it aside, and all you have left is the physical aspect, void of the spiritual component of sexuality. Does that make sense? It's counterfeit. I would say a third way is that the use of pornography is like drinking salt water. It's like drinking salt water. You're adrift on an open sea. You haven't drunk water in days, and you are drying and dehydrating up to nothing. And all you have is, is a gallon full of salt water, and you drink that down. Will it fill your stomach? Yes, it will. Will it mess you up on the inside? Absolutely. Why? Because it's not designed to drink that way. It is toxic in that fashion. Water is a very good thing. Drinking salt water, though you would never see it outwardly, will absolutely bring devastation to your body. And it's the same way pornography operates. Pornography, by its very nature, steals hearts one click, one page at a time. Point number two is that Scripture clearly categorizes pornography as sin. You know, the first, the, the first uh, burning question that I, that I looked at, we don't have to bring it up again, but the first question you may remember, it mentioned how one's husband said, well, it's not really that is much of an issue because it's not real. Well, the Bible deals with it differently. And interestingly, the photograph was invented back in 1839. Just 11 years later, according, according to Merriam-Webster Webster Dictionary, just 11 years after the invention of the photograph in 1839, 11 years later in 1850, the word pornographer was a part of the human language. Eleven years after the photograph was invented, it was already being twisted, contorted, and distorted to something that today we call pornography. And when you read in Scripture, you will not find that word pornography anywhere here. However, you will find that Scripture very clearly and very directly in numerous places addresses this issue that today we call pornography. And so turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, if you will. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And I want you to notice what it says here. I'm going to move through three passages of Scripture, not because there are no more that, it, that exist. There are many more we could pull in, but for the sake of time, we're just going to look at three this morning briefly. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. When you get there, look down to verse 18. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18. It says, flee immorality. And by the way, let me just stop there. Did you know that, that sexual sin is the only temptation in the Bible where we are commanded to flee and not to stand and fight? Did you realize that? It's the only temptation where we're commanded, don't stand and fight and see if you can make it through this. No, we are commanded there to flee immorality. It's what Joseph did back in Genesis chapter 39. Potiphar's wife came, dressed seductively, put the moves on him to try to seduce him into going to bed with her. What did Joseph do? He flat hightailed it out of there as fast as he could go. David, uh, we read of uh, uh, as well in the Old Testament. We find that he was in much the same situation, did not flee immorality. What do people today who don't even know God, who don't even go to church, don't even read their Bibles, what do they know about King David? Oh, he's the one that committed adultery with Bathsheba. 
So the Bible says flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? See, it's not our life to decide what to do with. Our life is His. That's what happens at salvation. Lord, take over. Lord, I'm yours. Lord, I need your forgiveness. Lord, I'm a sinner. Lord, take my life. Do with me whatever you want. Our life is not our own if we are believers. Our lives belong to him, and that's exactly what Paul says. He says, flee immorality. This is not your body, verse 20, for you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body, he says. You don't have to turn here, but listen to what it says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. It says, therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. In other words, when it comes to immorality, when it comes to impurity... Count your body as dead, the Bible says, to those things. Not even an inclination. Where there's an inclination, there is a hatred of it. We cannot keep from being tempted. Even Jesus himself was tempted. How we handle the temptation is often the difference between life and death to us. And you men will be tempted in this area. It is the, it is the, the nature of the enemy to come to you in this area of your life. You cannot avoid being tempted. We're going to get to that in just a second. There is a caveat there, however. But you are going to be tempted. What we do with that temptation makes all the difference in the world. And what the Bible tells us there is that we have an obligation to hate temptation for all it's worth, to flee immorality, to honor God in our lives. So look over to what it says in Matthew chapter 15. Jesus says something interesting here. Matthew chapter 15. It's an interesting point that he makes. Matthew 15. Verses 18 through 20. Jesus says, But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. Verse 19, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. These are the things which defile the man. What Jesus is saying there is that there is a heart issue that drives every choice that we make to sin. That sin never starts at the fingers, their hands, or the feet that walk into it. Sin starts in the depths of the human heart. And where we choose to sin and where a person chooses to engage in pornography, there's always something within that person that is driving them to that well, looking for some form of satisfaction that is only false in nature. And for the person who's going to overcome that grip of pornography in their life, they have to come to grips with the fact that their heart must be pure before God. Their heart must be yielded to God. Their heart issues must be dealt with, and they must be willing to trust Christ to meet the deepest needs of their heart that pornography is being, at- is being utilized to try to fill. So Jesus says it's an issue of the heart. The bottom line is that Scripture clearly categorizes pornography as sin, principle number three is that every person, however, can have victory over pornography. Every single person. You say, Brooks, I don't know if that's the case. You see, there's two types of guys that I'm speaking to this morning. There's the man who accesses it, sees nothing wrong with it. May have even come to the point to where you tried to include it in your marriage just to add a twist to that aspect of your relationship with your wife. 
Anything that I say today is going to fall on deaf ears. Your heart is hardened. You have no desire to honor God. You're going to continue to do this. Doesn't bother you a bit. That's one group. But then there are the men that will say, you know, Brooks, I first became exposed to pornography when I was just a kid. I found my brother's stash or... Or maybe for you, it was as you got older into high school or off into college. Maybe for you, it was a business trip. You never intended to access that pay-per-view television. Been in your room numerous business trips. But that particular night, you did, and you've been hooked ever since. You say, Brooks, if I could somehow take a pill, I'd pay a million dollars to take that pill to get rid of this in my life. But I can't shake it. If I could somehow get this out of my life and get this out of my marriage, if I could somehow have a sense of what it feels like to have a clear conscience again and not to feel as though I'm hiding behind my wife's back, not to feel as though I have to always look over my shoulder whenever I'm on the computer, not to always have a fear that my wife is going to check the history and my kids are going to check the history, not to have a fear of what it would be like if your boss found out what's on your computer at work, not to wonder who might be looking as you're accessing your smartphone there in a place that's even public in nature, hoping no one's looking over your shoulder, but you can't get rid of that sense of attraction to just look at one more site. Brooks, if I could just have that all gone in my life, I'd do it in an instant, and I'd pay huge amounts of money to do it. That's another group I'm speaking to today. And you can have victory. You can have victory. Jesus died to give it to you. And you can choose to leave here today with this being day one of a victorious, pure life for you. What are some steps that are going to help you to get there? Number one, you got to know Jesus deeply. If you've never placed your faith in Christ, then today is the day for you to begin to experience the power of God at work in your life as he begins to set you free over time, perhaps even in one big bite of freedom as you give your life to Christ. If you've already given your life to Christ, then for you, one of the most important things that you can do is to take inventory of your relationship with God and ensure that your life is yielded fully and completely. That God, there are no strings attached. You take me, do with me as whatever you desire, that you're repentant, broken before God over sin that has invaded your life. That you walk with God, that you walk with Jesus deeply. A second thing that you can do is to trust your steering and not your brakes. What do I mean by that? Well, a lot of guys trust their brakes. They, they know places that they can't afford to go. They know where those temptations lurk. They know the magazine aisles at the grocery store. They even know the right stores to go to. And though they don't intend to, to uh, access it, and though they don't intend to take a look at it, they're going to see how close they can get to that line, and they know they'll just put the brakes on it right up to the edge. The problem is brakes don't work that way. And your brakes have failed you more times than you want to realize. And you've got to begin trusting. If you want victory, you've got to begin trusting your steering. There are some, some stores, guys, you can't go to. You ever gone, you know, the other day, I, I won't name the store, I, I, I forget what I, what I needed. It was something quick or else I was almost out of gas or something. I can't remember what the reason was. I typically go to the same old stores over and over and over again. But for this, re, for this particular time, I went to a store. It was just a convenience store. And when I walked in, I was reminded of the harsh reality of what all kind of junk they have right there behind the register. And you have to make a decision that if you want purity in your life and if you want to be a man who honors God and has a clear conscience, you want to have a marriage and you want to have, make decisions that put your wife on a pedestal, you have to make decisions. There may be some stores for you that are off limits from this day on if you want purity. There are a lot of other stores to buy milk at. There are a lot of other places to get gas at. Instead of some places you just can't afford to go. And you're going to have to trust your steering. You're going to have to avoid those places. You're going to have to create new plans of attacks. If you're addicted to drugs and you're coming off of drugs, you have to change the way you drive. Because if you drive right past those same old neighborhoods and those same old guys on those same old corners, it's going to be just a matter of days before you're pulling over, making the same old transactions that you used to make. 
You've got to find you a new plan. You've got to recognize where you're vulnerable, and you've got to put guardrails in place. You've got to be willing to trust your steering and not your brakes. Number three, and I'll tell you, this may be the hardest of all, you've got to take drastic steps to ensure victory. Drastic steps to ensure victory. For some of you, a smartphone is the dumbest phone you could have. I'm just being honest. I don't have one. It's because I can't figure them out. I'm not smart enough to own one, but I tell you, it's nice not to do that about You say, here's another standard for me. And I'm not Mr. Perfect, I promise you, but here's just one little example. I don't access the Internet at home if Susie's not at the house. And if she's sleeping, that counts as though she's gone. You say, Brooks, are you afraid of going somewhere you shouldn't go? Yes, I am. Because I'm human, and just because God calls me a pastor and calls me to be a pastor doesn't mean I have an easier walk than anybody else. I'm a man like everybody else. I've got blind spots and weak spots and a long way to go like Jesus. I say it all the time here. And I don't want to find out how strong I am based on where my weakness is exposed. Does that make sense? And I don't want to find out, well, hey, man, I guess my weakness is, I guess I'm strong right up to the point of, a, of being able to get online at midnight when Susie's dead asleep. I don't want to find that out. I just want to just try to be pure. And for me, I just don't do that. For some of you, you need new phones. You know, you just need new phones. You need to get rid of that stash of stuff that you got that nobody else knows about. Get rid of the locker. Get it out from under the mattress. Wherever your little place is, you need to clear it out. You say, I ain't doing that. That's stupid. An old stupid Baptist preacher up there with bad hair telling me how I'm supposed to live my life. You know, let me just say something. Let me just say something. You have to decide if, this is, if, if purity is a mere preoccupation for you or if it is a priority. Because if it is a preoccupation for you, you will never attain it. And here's what's going to happen. The Bible says in Matthew that the blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And if you're content never seeing God, never experiencing Him at work in your life, and if you don't care a hill of beans about Him exposing His power through your life, living a life with a clear conscience, honoring your wife, honoring God, honoring those around you, if you don't care about your children possibly following the same walk that you want, then go ahead and access that same old junk if you want. But if you want to see God, and if you want to be pure, it can't be a preoccupation. It has got to be a priority, and there is no price tag on priority in your life. For those, of you that, for those of you that would rather cling to your little smartphone and access that stuff no matter where you are, for those of you that, that want the internet at home, and I have the internet at home, I'm not saying that you need to go back to the, back to the 1970s, but if you can do that, and, and, and for those of you that say, I'm not giving, getting rid of that kind of stuff, here's your price tag, a $99 bundle for your purity, you just paid it. What's the price of your purity? I'll tell you for me, I'm not perfect. I'm far from it. But I desire to put my wife on a pedestal because she's far better as a person than I am. I do not deserve her, and I ain't planning on getting rid of her anytime soon. And the best thing that I can do is to show her what Christ looks like, to do my absolute best, to help her one day to hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. And if I can put her on a pedestal by my own purity, then it doesn't matter what that costs me. And some of you have to decide if your purity is a preoccupation or a priority. Just saying. Just saying. I forgot where I was. <laughs> so take drastic step to victory. Uh, let, let's look at number three. I'm, I'm going late, and I, I, don't, I don't care. <clears throat> <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, num number three. It is evident that Satan is attacking marriages. He is a master manipulator. It seems like Satan often attacks the men as leaders of the family. One way he does so is through pornography. I wonder if as a church, 
we can learn how to put up guardrails, both men and women, in order to prevent ourselves from falling into this sin, which seems to cause much damage in marriages? That's a great question. The answer is yes, we could do more. I don't mean this as a slight, but ladies, I I don't want to hear from you on this particular thing of what you think will help your husbands. But guys, I don't care if it's anonymous or not. It can be a it can be a letter in the mail, email, I don't care. But I, I want to hear from you. Because I know the world you live in, I live in the same one. I know the battles you face. When you're just trying to pay your check and you have to do everything you can to keep your eyes on a cash register and not what's 10 feet behind it. I know, I know the battle you face when you're walking through the mall. You just want to go buy a pair of jeans and you've got to go right past Victoria's Secret with all their stuff. Pop-up messages you never intended. I know the world, I'm there. But I I would like to hear from you. What is your church? What can your church do to help you in this? We'll do the best we can to try to do it. We have a dive class coming up in two weeks called Guardrails. Excellent material. It doesn't just deal with this this issue. It deals with a lot of other issues, but it talks about that, the need for us to have guardrails in our marriage. You know what? We offered that class about a year ago. You know who signed up? Almost all women. Nothing wrong with that. Women need guardrails as much as men do. But where are the guys? <laughs> Hello. I mean, if it's not you, it's somebody near you that's fallen again. What's another thing you do? Never fight alone. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins one to another, and you'll be healed. I don't know how that plays out from God's perspective, but I do know that if you have someone in your life, guys, it's another man that can hold you accountable and hold the standard high that you can say, hey, listen, uh, I did something I shouldn't have this week. It's going to be a man that's going to speak into your life. He's going to be bold. He's going to be humble. He's going to be compassionate, but he's going to hold you to a standard. He's going to hold that, that standard high, and you can do the same for him. You need somebody. You can't fight alone. If you're stuck in the clutches of pornography, look, I'm not a, I'm not a prophet, but it's going to be very unlikely you're going to come out of that by yourself. You need somebody else to walk with you. To never fight alone. Then number five, I would, or the next thing I would say, is to never take vacations from integrity. You know what Job said? Job said in Job 31.1, he said, I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look upon a woman with lust. I've made a covenant, he said, with my eyes. Here, here's what often happens. Here, here's the, the, the strangling nature of pornography is that you'll go off on a business trip, nobody else is around, you're tired, you got beat down, you just, had, you just went to make a sale and the sale didn't fall through and you're feeling bad about yourself and you tell yourself, you know what, nobody will ever know and I deserve this, dadgummit, because I've worked hard and my wife isn't fulfilling my needs at home. We're, all we do is argue and, and, or, or whatever it is, I just deserve this little break and you'll take that little break and that's all it takes to hook you. And you can't take vacations from integrity. Even right down to where you let your mind go. Even right down to the way you look at members of the opposite sex, Job said, I, will ma- I have made a covenant, as I said, with my eyes not to look at a woman with lust. You cannot take, we cannot take vacations from integrity. You apply these things, is it, is it victory that comes right away? Sometimes it is, sometimes it's a, it's a journey. But those are some practical things that can be helpful. Question number four, and we're done. This is actually part of an earlier question. I chose to deal with it separately. What can we do as Christian women to help our marriages? Okay, here's the awkward part. (laughs) I can talk about all this stuff all day long talking to guys. Um, Never been a woman. (laughs) Don't expect I ever will be in this life or the next. 
Um, but you asked, so I'll just do my best. <laughs> What's something that we can do as Christian women to help our marriages? Let me give you three things. The first one will be not directed towards you and your spouse. It's you and other men. Practice modesty. Practice modesty. It's amazing today how people can present their bodies in a way to where there's very little left to the imagination. It's just there to see. And one of the worst things that you can do, ladies, and you can find a million excuses as to why not to apply this, and at the end of the day, it's between you and God. But one of the worst things you can do is to present yourself in a way that causes another man, another Christian, to stumble in his walk and in his purity. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 14. He says, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. It's pretty clear. I know, I'm not, I know that I'm convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you're no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. The issue in that context was that there were Christians who were eating meat sacrificed to idols. Didn't have any problem with it. Uh, Paul said, hey, listen, idols don't even exist anyway. There's only one God. If somebody wanted to offer that meat to something that doesn't even exist and you eat it, you're not doing any harm to yourself. But if your conscience won't allow you to do it, don't do it. But if another brother also, if their conscience is, is, is damaged by seeing you as a Christian do it, then for the sake and for the love towards them, don't do it. Does that make sense? You take that same argument and you apply it, I believe, to the issue of modesty. God gave you your body. God is the one who created the human body. God is the one who put uh, those specific drives within humans, men and women alike. They are good. God created them good without being too graphic or too, too uh, directive. I think we all understand what we're saying here, that God created that aspect of marriage and he called it good. But whenever, and I would say because men are primarily visual uh, in nature, women are primarily emotive or emotion-driven in nature, that for you as a woman, when you present yourself that way and there are other men around and you present your body in a way that is, causes them to stumble, it is the most unloving thing that you could do. And no, you do not have the right to do that because your body is God's, not yours. We've already established that. So what can we do to help men? I think that'd be a big one. For some men, the workplace is the hardest place for them to go because of what they see. Wife is nowhere around. It's eight hours of uncorralled temptation. Sadly, church is often much the same way. What's the second thing that you can do? Realize that you, as a wife, are your husband's only legitimate, God-ordained, God-given, allowable outlet for his sexual expression. You're it. You're it. <laughs> I don't know how you translate that. And I'm not going to dare step into the territory of trying to help you to translate that. <laughs> you do with that whatever you feel is appropriate. <laughs> 
Let me just let me just paint this picture for just a second. Your husband is trying to honor God, and he's trying to honor you, and he's trying to to establish a good example because he knows his kids watch him, he knows his wife watches him, he knows other people are watching him. And when he walks through the mall, he has to navigate around this minefield. And when he goes to the store, he has to navigate this minefield. And when he walks down River Street, just going shopping on a Saturday, he has to navigate that that minefield. That gets a bit exhausting after a while. And as he navigates these little minefields one after the other because he's trying to be pure and he's trying to be honoring God in his life, he is just a man who has been created by God with certain drives in his life that God gave him. He is married to a woman who is the only legitimate, allowable, godly, God-ordained expression for all of that going on in his life. There's only one. And ladies, what can we do as Christian women? Just remember that. Just remember that. I talk with couples in 10 years of marriage. I talk with guys. I won't say couples. I talk with guys at times. Say, man, I struggle, and I'm looking at stuff I shouldn't look at, or I had an affair, and uh, they're not blaming their wife, but they end up saying, you know, it's been a long time since we've had any intimacy in our marriage. There's never an excuse for impurity. There, there's, there's not. There's never one legitimate excuse. And that's not an excuse. But you know what? There's a point where you just have to say, ladies, really? I mean, is, is this a shock that he's going to struggle in that area? I'm not saying fall, but struggle. Is that really that much of a shocker? So that's something to keep in mind. And number three, I'd say pray for him. Pray for him. More often than not, he wants to honor you. More often than not, his heart breaks and he feels like nothing as a Christian. More often than not, he wants to find what it takes to be on that pedestal, to live a life with a clear conscience. And so pray for him. Six questions to consider that I hope you'll answer at some point. And we'll be done. Number one, what must I get rid of? And give up. Number two, who can, or, or what drastic steps must I take for victory? Number three, who can fight with me? Number four, when am I most vulnerable? And how can I guard there? Number five, am I willing to repent and accept God's forgiveness? And he will forgive you. And then number six, is Jesus Lord of my life? For some of you, you've been on that cycle. You fall, you you feel guilty, you confess, you repent, and you fall. You feel guilty, and you confess, and you repent, and you fall. And that cycle, for some here, has gone on for years. But you can have victory. You can. Listen as we close to what every man's battle Stephen Arterburn, Fred Stoker have to say. Sexual purity. You are sexually pure when no sexual gratification comes from anyone or anything but your wife. Men, you can be pure. It's not unattainable. Pornography will steal your heart and those closest to you. Maybe today can be the day when you drive the stake in the ground And you say, starting today, purity is mine. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the patience of this group.
we never go this long. But Lord, I felt these were some things that needed to be said. 45% of Christian marriages count this as a major problem in their home. Lord, who's to say that today may not be the message that was needed to remind them of the need for purity? Lord, today could be a turning point day for a lot of people here. Lord, it could be a day where high schoolers, middle schoolers, here in church, that this is something that no matter what their friends say is something that will slowly erode their life away. It's sin. It steals. It grinds into nothingness the self-worth of those affected by it. It's enslaving. It'll steal one click at a time a person's heart. Lord, I pray all over this place that there are men for whom this has been a silent struggle that will find victory starting today as they confess to you and find your forgiveness, as they find another man to fight with them, to help hold one another accountable, as they're willing to put guardrails in their lives, even to the point of taking drastic steps to, to find victory, as they put in place better steering rather than trusting in brakes that really have never worked up to now. And most of all, as they find everything they need in that relationship with Christ that you offer. And so, Lord, today I pray for those that don't know Jesus, that right where they sit, they pray, turn from their sin and invite Christ to take over their lives, just as Michael and Frankie pictured for us in their videos. And Lord, for those that have been walking in defeat rather than victory, I pray that that victory would come, purity would come, that they would see you with a clear conscience, a clean heart, as David would pray, to create in us a clean heart, O oh God. Lord, you can do that from nothing. You can create that in us. And so bring freedom all over this room today. For those that may hear this message online, CDs in the future, Lord, may it bring victory. May it rescue marriages. And may it lead to good, solid patterns of what it means to be a man as an example of purity is set for kids from this day forward. So bless these decisions, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.